Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast from Math on Blockchain. Hello, Daniele. How are you? Hey, Dario. How are you doing? All is good? Fine, thanks. All good. And it seems to be an exciting uh, new news has just uh, arrived uh, from the European Community. Uh, the European Commission, sorry, they're not famous for being very exciting. But if you are in blockchain, it, it must have given a bit of a, you know, uh, it's a small, at least, tingle. The idea that uh, the, in the EC has announced plan, plan for a regulatory sandbox. Now, don't know what the sandbox is. Don't even know what regulation is, but that seems to be big. So t <laughs> tell me, tell me, Daniele, how, what, what's happening? Well, first of all, um, um, Sandbox uh, <laughs> is uh, uh, just uh, telling a very little story about how I get used to know what a Sandbox uh, was. So, in fact, I had the same uh, uh, misunderstanding um, when I was in Singapore a few years ago, entering into the kind of Sandbox. And I was thinking about Sandbox, it looks like a shoe or a sandal or something like you know, I have to enter into something to do something else. And uh, in fact, the sandbox is nothing less than um, an environment where uh, that is being uh, defined by usually a regulator in a, in a jurisdiction in a country to experiment uh, some future use case of uh, a technology. And uh, by having clear in mind how this technology can be used to do something, they can define the regulatory perimeter into a kind of a moving environment. So in fact, uh, if you want to exploit whether a technology is a fundamental importance to solve some problem, but you don't have clarity on how technology is going to be used and also how rules defined by the regulation should meet with, uh, with the level of innovation that this technology brings on the table. So you, uh, you call people like me and you or people that have companies, startups, whatever, saying, I understood that you fit into the criteria of admission in the sandbox because you want to launch, for example, blockchain uh, technology to create a financial-like derivative. It's just an example. Uh, but I don't know how derivative or I don't know how this type of products can be, for example, regulated. Come here, show me how you're going to develop your technology to solve the problem. We work together to uh, update the existing uh, regulation, if there's any. And then at the end of this journey, you're going to be licensed. So you'll be authorized to do this, for example, technology, to bring this technology to the market. At the same time, it will be very clear for you what are the rules you have to comply with, because at the end, the rules will be clear for you and for other people like you. That's the uh, target number one. Target number two is that, uh, especially in, in countries like Singapore, but also EU, they want to attract very innovative companies so as, for example, they want to say, I accept you to come into the sandbox, provide that you convince me that you bring a very high level of innovation. And I don't want to have many people like you. I want you to come and innovate. But if there are 10 people, 100 people doing exactly the same, there's no much innovation because of people doing the same. So I want to have one, two, three, four, whatever the admission criteria is, so as the sandbox will allow three, four, five companies into a specific field. So as when this sandbox journey will be over, those guys will be shaped and will be, you know, strong enough to go to the market and to comply with the rules. Well, um, 
let me understand and probably let's make things easier for our friends that are not from the European Union. So the European Union is the body that puts together, I think, 26, 25, different, difficult to remember right now. Because let's say 30. But there is a bit of a number. Um, and and that's the, the European Commission is a separate um, uh, part which actually manages all the common programs, etc. So we will still have 27 countries eventually doing something else later on, but the common government, if you like to call it like that, of the, these countries, of this union of countries, is setting up a plan. And to make it more interesting to all of our friends, they're not doing it in the European Commission. They're working with the European Blockchain Partnership. Do you know more about the European Blockchain Partnership? I, I've seen something that I can read out here, but uh, which is just another layer of complexity. <laughs> I can say yes, but uh, when I say yes, I, I talk very much in practical terms. So I didn't have the, the privilege to work together with them. So, so I know very little practical details I can share. What I can tell is that, uh, um, let's say, uh, this generally speaking, uh, in every jurisdiction, uh, there is a kind of an alliance of uh, people that provide expertise. And this alliance can be, uh, uh, can be shaped, can be formed by uh, different types of companies. Okay, so this is something similar. So obviously the European Union itself doesn't have the competence uh, and the knowledge to regulate such a, a, an innovative uh, uh, technology or such an innovative landscape, which is kind of different from the foundation than the existing technology and the existing frameworks. That's why they need to bring on board, let me say an external, uh, so to say, a counterparty that help with the technical knowledge on how to deal with something like this. That's to me how the fit is being established. Okay. Well, fantastic. Well, we what we read on the internet uh, about the this other layer of what's happening sandbox-wise is that it is now a thin 30 countries. So there are more countries, and of my last count, and I've lost counts, but we, in European Blockchain Partnership, there were two more, being Norway, which is not actually part of the EU, and Liechtenstein. In case you're wondering, where is it? Small but financially very important country there. Uh, if you know where it is, it's just a set. Just, just go. You won't be able to see on a big map. You have to take a small one. Um, and they have been working with the ambition to provide digital public services. So originally that was set up to, I don't want to say tokenize because uh, maybe it was not token at all there, but uh, to blockchainize uh, the public services. Well, let's see what that means. Um, so here we go. So. Um, Externally, I would say that sounds a bit bureaucratic. My first reaction. Um, are you, are you, are you, is it a diplomatic no comment? But oh, no, 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 no. I love to comment anything that uh, I perhaps I don't like or I'm not familiar with uh, uh, to provide a kind of perspective. So for, for me, so let's say top down. So European Union is extremely regulated from all standpoints. So this means uh, under no ground, uh, there is a kind of an understanding to enter into a journey under a level of uncertainty. But this is uh, fundamental for me, is that somehow the main uh, uh, roadblock to, uh, uh, to boost innovation. Because, you know, innovation, uh, it's, uh, it's mostly 
doing something that perhaps you don't know what it's going to bring. And you don't know exactly how it's going to develop. Okay, so you should have a kind of a level of uncertainty. As it has to be kind of a framed, so to say, but you should leave a, a kind of a level of where technology entrepreneurs can freely develop under, again, a certain perimeter. Because from this type of framework, you can learn something and eventually you can come with a proposal and solution. The way EU is moving is try, I don't know exactly how this is going to be, but I just want to know exactly how it's going to be regulated even before it's going to develop. That's to me problematic to foster through innovation and, and you know, true developments for good into, into a brand new industry. It's much uh, philosophical, let me say. Uh, it's a philosophical uh, debate that sounds to me the same as uh, what, was, what was there first, the chicken or the egg. Uh, <laughs> and and the, some say that the, the answer should be mutations. So everything will change up front. <clears throat> so poor EU and poor regulatory um, people out there. I was kind of making fun of them saying, oh, you're bureaucratic, but you're telling me, well, that's what they are. Da, da. They're, they're making loads. They're making, they are creating the bureaucracy. There is um, one element which probably gives a bit of uh, focus on this announcement. So as we said, the European blockchain partnership, the EU, which has got the um, European Commission, which is asking the European uh, blockchain partnership, which has then created a European blockchain servicing infrastructure joint venture. Okay, but we're, we're going to get there in the end. But at the end, the good news is their specific use case that they want to demonstrate and to 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 actually probably we're saying to, to understand how it works. So if I read them out uh, from the list, we had digital identity, da -da, something we've touched on multiple times because it's very close to MEF members. Um, data portability, my God, this is also very, very close to a lot of our members. You, you probably remember Julian um, from DGME talking to you about these as yes, well. We discussed about it. Um, smart contracts in environmental, energy, and health sectors, and I think that would be close to to what you do as well. So, yeah. Uh, so the good news is we, we, we in the end, at, at the end of all of these incredible chain of organization, there are some concrete use cases that will be looked after and encouraged. Yeah, there, there actually, there's many. The point is that to me, the best way to encourage the adoption of new, new use cases to show that some of them have succeeded, not only to implement, because I can you know, implement a token that no one is buying, and I can say, hey, I implemented a token, that's good, it's a good use case. No, at the end of the day, what, is really matter, what really matters is um, something that has been done, which is good, so already shaped for real, but also that has succeeded to meet the target that justify the purpose for which this has been built. For example, uh, if I'm building a token, so a token could be a kind of a currency, so to say, uh, to facilitate a transaction, because the cost of transaction is uh, is lower for the uh, for the stakeholder. So in that case, I need to have traction. I need to prove that there is a market validation that is adopting the token as a more efficient or a better solution to an existing problem. Okay. So if we go there, not only to demonstrate that a use case has been delivered, which is good, but also that market has adopted these as a better solution than existing. Okay, that's uh, for me what really matters when we say proven use case. 
Otherwise, when it comes down to talk about blockchain, it's always about blockchain could be, blockchain can solve the problem, but no one is telling, or at least very few are telling, this problem be solved because it has provided a very practical and uh, a measurable result. So blockchain right now is a potential solution on many topics, as we already you know, anticipated so far, but it's very, uh, uh, um, it's not been adopted widely, and it's been marketed to succeed on real world problems. So one of the main use cases for which blockchain is being used and proven to succeed is uh, in the financial fields. So by the adoption of a so-called cryptocurrency, because cryptocurrencies are extended, extensively traded on the financial markets. So this use case is proven. So people making money out of it and people using it. So that's a good use case. All the others that we bring on the table, including those discussed at the EU level, should bring also some uh, uh, physical measurements. Mm. And I have many. I have many. <laughs> physical measurements. Sure. I mean, I, I give you a very simple example on the real estate because people have seen many, many times the word real estate next to the blockchain together. So obviously, in theory, it's very nice. I have a house. I can create a fractional ownership of the house so I can sell one thousandth or one millionth of the of the house to potential investor in theory. So blockchain can do that. Yes, of course. But what is missing is a regulatory framework that allow me to sell to the legal investor. Because if I sell a fractional ownership of my house that is worth $100, there will not be an institutional investor that will buy for $100. There will be a very small investor. So can retail investor, can the small investor buy this fraction ownership? There's no market for that. And in some countries, it's not even possible from a legal standpoint to allow retail investor to buy a token that contains a fraction of ownership of the house. So if we promote a use case that in practical term cannot be delivered to the market, it's just doing uh, you know, cheap words. So to me, every use case that is relevant should have proven market metrics for which I can prove even before starting to develop uh, that uh, the adoption of these use case will provide the benefit for the market that has to be defined beforehand. And we're still waiting for some of the uh, regulations in some of those areas, data portability and digital identity to happen even at the higher macro level before talking of a specific you know, blockchain. So it will be interesting to see what happens next. Um, but there is some good news because I've, I've been playing the, the, um, you know, the skeptical so far. We've heard that in the last week of um, September, the European Commission announced the plans for a full regulatory framework for digital currency. So maybe not the new and eventful things we were seeing on the other parts of the economy, but the old blockchain market, something is happening there. What What is changing though? Is it apart from the obvious, which is not much is changing in European Union, 78% of transactions are made of cash. And <laughs> so there is still even the simple card uh, has to be utilized much more. But what is possible or what will be possible in your To opinion? me, I mean, I do see from, again, from a practical perspective, what does it change if there will be a digital euro, okay, versus the, the euro today? I mean, for me, the euro 
uh, when I'm doing, uh, you know, uh, wire payment, credit card payment is still digital. I'm not dealing with, you know, the physical currency. So, but once uh, the uh, the euro will be fully digital, what is going practically uh, uh, speaking, what is going to change for me? To be honest, uh, uh, one of the things that probably I'm going to do is that uh, uh, perhaps I will trade Bitcoin with Euro directly, while today I have to do indirectly, because there's no Euro itself into the exchanges if I want to buy Bitcoin, but I have to convert Euro into uh, a stable coin like, for example, uh, USDT or other similar crypto-like uh, currencies, and only then convert into, for example, Bitcoin. While tomorrow, while the euro will be fully digitized, I can trade directly Bitcoin with euro. And there will be an exchange that will provide a spot price or a price of conversion between the two with uh, a certain spread that is linked to the exchange. So that's to me <laughs> the main use case for me uh, uh, that will bring a benefit uh, uh, once the digital euro will come to the market. Uh, aside from that, um, um, in my uh, use of the currency, uh, I don't see many, many others, but uh, because the, the currency in our day-by-day -day use case uh, is almost entirely digitized. All the rest will be much more related to the bank and the financial institutional player, but not to the me and you people. Okay. okay. As a matter of fact, again, we talk about some of those announcements of a digital framework because it's based to the future, 2024. Um, and we are talking about important things, but pretty technical things such as passporting, as you were saying. Eventually, uh, you know, being able to be a European player in uh, in blockchain and be recognized financially uh, at all levels as a as a currency transactions in in bitcoins might have impact for me and you, so we'll be able to do it on on a safe uh, base. But um, the real working the work to be done there probably is between the big players of the financial sectors and maybe some of the small players working right now. Who knows? A, a lot of new uh, stable coins, uh, or as we talked in the past. Uh, and even central banks uh, are, are working on, on uh, those same uh, plans. Okay, so if the most um, traditional, I, I bear there to say establish one uh, of the blockchain implementation case studies, which is finance, is seen 2024. Um, and today we've just seen uh, 2022 from the, the uh, new pact of the sandboxing. The sandbox will start in 2022. So it sounds like regulation is still going to be a big topic for a long while for us. So we will come back on, on that, Daniele. Let's say general statement here. Uh, sorry to interrupt you because you touch a point that for which I have to react. That is, uh, uh, regulation does not follow technology. So and uh, right now, especially in COVID uh, era, so you have technology that is massively massively progressing at the speed of the light and regulation still moving and sometimes even delaying because of COVID, because of the lack of physical interaction. And then it's postponing because people cannot meet and eventually people cannot decide uh, virtually about very sensitive topic. That's kind of a disconnection that is happening for which uh, we definitely need to do the other way around. We just need to catch up as quick as we can because right now what happened in the last six months in terms of technology, think about simply that now we uh, also at the school, people do virtual meetings as they've never done before in their life. 
physical meetings almost no longer exist. So people taking decision by being on Zoom, on Teams, or on other or other where RTC platform. So these things have happened massively in a very short amount of time. Regulatory, uh, it did not or is not developing at the same uh, speed and is also delaying a bit. Okay, so that's why it's so so important that somehow sooner or later these uh, misalignment will catch up because at the end of the day uh, I don't think pandemic COVID whatever is going to last a month is so I don't know how much is going to last but I think it will be a long period of time that we cannot really predict so that's why we need to act now we have no we should not wait well, interestingly one side we see the the, the timeline for regulation harmonization etc still far I mean maybe within the the pace of regulation has been speeded up but it's still going to take a while and but at the same time as you were just mentioning before it's a question of chicken and egg right yeah. so they will they're not going to be ready so all of the innovators out there do something you know you probably will have to crush against some of those regulations but currently are not supporting necessarily the, the blockchain economy but they they themselves will realize that that is then the issues that they will have to be reviewed and integrated into that. Yeah, Some I mean, if, you, if you are, if you are, sorry, just a, a quick comment there. So, if you are an entrepreneur and you bet on regulation, that might be a wrong bet because until it's done, you never know how much time it's going to take. And this is the mistake I've done with my money, with my time. You know, betting on some regulation, especially in the security token space, could have been developed much, much faster than what effectively has happened. So in fact, uh, you can, as being a you know technology innovator, whatever, you have two choices. Either you follow a fully regulated path, path on something that is already existing, or you're just waiting and you have enough cash to sustain a development of something that might happen in one year, two years, or five years, or never happen. Or you reposition your company being uh, in the technology field as being a service or technology provider. So in that case, you avoid any type of compliance because you don't need, you're selling services, you're selling technology fundamentally, and you don't touch any financial like products. So in that case, uh, you enter in a space that don't need to be regulated because you don't touch any regulated product. In that case, you remove your risk from waiting and whatever. So at the end of the day, there's nothing in between, in my views. There we go. We have a, a recipe for success in blockchain. So we will, we will wait, but we'll have to wait until the next podcast to discuss more with you, Daniele, on the market. But we've been looking forward for that. And to all of you, see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye, guys.